So you'll notice that we uh, referred to that as the big game. And that is because the NFL trademarks the Super Bowl and the NFL. So we actually can't advertise using those words. It will be the Super Bowl that we're going to be watching here. But uh, yeah, if you wonder why the uh, naming of it is so lame, it's because they're lame. So praise God. We actually do have one more announcement that I would like. And I'm so pleased and so happy to announce. Um, most of the, uh, were you guys ready for the word this morning? Let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your great love. And Father, as you put this heart this week, Lord, I, I believe it's an important one that the church has to hear, Father. Lord, I pray that not only would the people in this room right now have their hearts open and ready to receive it, but every person that listens to it on the, on the, on the website, through the podcast, Father, Lord, that they would be ready to receive it, that it would make an impact in their lives, Father. And I just thank you for speaking through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I've entitled this morning's message, Gathering of the Brethren. I should have picked an easier title to pronounce so I didn't mess it up the first time I said it. So on Wednesday nights, we're actually going through uh, Pastor Wormbrandt's story of how, uh, and where are they at anyway, uh, Wormbrandt? In Romania, they're being heavily persecuted. He's actually doing ministry from prison, and it's just an awful time for them. But one of the areas that we're going through right now is they're beginning to see um, an underground church forming in Romania. And I, I found this interesting, one, because you know, when the first thought we might have of that is they're meeting in caves and in tunnels, but that's not what it means. The underground church just means that they're meeting in secrets, typically in people's houses. And uh, the reason that they had to meet in secret is because if they were to be found out, they would surely be beaten or imprisoned and potentially be killed just to meet, to worship our God, to worship our Lord and Savior, just to get together. They were putting everything on the line. There was a serious threat to their well-being. Can you imagine that if if we were trying to start a church and it was illegal to be a Christian in this country and, and not only would you be in prison for doing it, but we still had the heart to reach people for Jesus. And can you imagine every person that comes to that door, you wonder, is this someone that really just accepted the Lord or is this someone from the government that's going undercover trying to find out all these individual meetings? But even and that great threat, even that the, the reality of, of being beaten, and many of them were, they would be beaten and come to, come to the next meeting covered in bruises, but still worship their God. And that's, this is what they were facing, yet they still considered it important enough to meet together with other Christians, to have a service together, to worship God together, to spend time in the Bible together, to pray together. They considered it so important that they were willing to lay down their life to have that opportunity to meet with one another. As I was listening to, to this being talked about, I realized that we have such a complete opposite attitude in the United States. I mean, this is, it's not even like we're not quite that dedicated. I mean, it is almost an opposite, complete contradiction to that attitude that they had up there. I was doing some research on, on uh, uh, what's been done on, on attendance for church services. And, and the truth is, is that church services and getting together as Christians has been declining in the United States for some time. And it's just not considered as important in people's lives as it once did. 
a good friend of mine who was planted out uh, about a year after I did there, planting in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. And one of the things he ex- exclaimed up there is, is that is that church just doesn't matter to anybody. Trying to get people involved and start a new work was almost impossible because it's just not important to the people around them. And I thought, well, maybe this is just what I'm feeling. Maybe this is just anecdotal. But the truth is, is they've done research on this. And in a Pew Research poll done in 2014, it said that only 45% of Christians who attend worship services regularly attend weekly. So only 45% of all Christians did it. This isn't even, these aren't the ones that don't attend. These are the ones that attend regularly. Only 45% of them attend weekly. And 33% of them only attend monthly and or yearly. And that just blew my mind. There was also a poll done recently here in 2018, also a Pew Research poll in August of 2018. And they polled uh, those who attended worship less than a few times a year. So these are people that don't attend very regularly. He said, among those who attended worship less than a few times a year, only 28% of those gave the reason as I don't believe is not going to church. Right? If you don't believe, I can at least see where they're coming from. But that means 72% of all people who don't attend church regularly do believe. That's an astounding number. 72% of people. Now this is including all faiths, not just Christianity. But one of the common arguments that was made was, and this is 37% of those people that don't attend for not, so this is of those 72%, 37, almost half of those say that they practice their faith in other ways. And then 12% of those said they don't have time. Now, it's really easy for us to say, I can't believe those people. That's just crazy. But the truth is, I've made those same excuses in my life. Way more than I would like to admit that I have. I once claimed to love Jesus, but just not like organized religion. Anybody ever heard that excuse? Oh yeah, that was my favorite. I use it all the time. That, that was my excuse for not going to church, because then I could say I love Jesus and live my life completely like I didn't know who He was. And I have said so many times that I don't have time. Now, the thing is, is that I, that excuse is used for, by so many people for so many different things, right? Because we all claim that we don't have time to do certain things. And, uh, it's interesting to me because I don't use that excuse for church anymore because, uh, well, if I don't show up, <laughs> it'd be a weird day. It's not that there aren't times that I didn't want to show up. I can tell you that. There are some mornings where I get up and I don't want to go to church. Pastor, you mean you don't want to go to church? Yeah, I'm just like you guys. There's some times I want to stay in bed, but it's so worth it to come and be with all of you guys, to see God work in your life and to see God work in my life and to encourage one another. But you know what I do use that excuse for now? You know what I don't have time to do? Exercise. I got time to watch Netflix, but I don't have time to exercise. We all use these excuses of what we do and don't have time for. And I have seen, and I've seen so many things take priority in the church, or priority over church. So many people want to put sports in front of church. So many people want to put their time, their own personal time in front of church. So many people put money in front of the church. So many people put work in front of the church. I mean, the laundry list goes on. 
There are some churches that don't even have service on Super Bowl Sunday because nobody shows up. And I've certainly been in a position where I've let work take priority in my life and I neglected the things of the kingdom of God because I had to work. And I, I, this is not to say, I mean, there are times in our lives when stuff comes up and there are times when we make commitments. If you make a commitment to be somewhere, be there. If you made a commitment to your boss, be there. But start rethinking the priorities and start adjusting your schedule. Start making changes the best that you can. But it got me thinking, why is it that there are some who are so willing to risk everything to come to a church service or a prayer service? Or why is it there are people in this world, and it's not just you know years ago in, the, in Romania, it's happening right now in China. Christians are getting saved at an amazing rate in China right now, and it's all being done through an underground church, and the government will imprison you over there for being a Christian if you're not part of the approved denomination that they have over there why are some so willing to risk but others are only willing to come when it's convenient and as i thought about it i began to think that maybe it's because we don't recognize the importance or the value or the purpose or the benefit that we get from meeting together for so many of us this is just a you know, we hope we're going to get before God one day and He's going to say, so tell me what happened. I went to church sometimes. Doesn't that tip the scale in my favor a little bit? I get to mark my spiritual checklist. So let's talk about that. What is the purpose? What is the benefit? Why is it important that we get together like this as a church? And not only just specifically uh, morning in a church service, but the truth is is that that other times we meet Bible studies or just getting together with like-minded individuals to pray it doesn't have to be organized by the church. We should be getting together. So the first thing I want to point out is meeting together is not just a good idea. It's actually a command. Scripture says in Hebrews 10.23-25, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Truth is, we live in a harsh world. If you guys didn't notice it, we live kind of in a rough place. And if you watch the news at all, it's not getting better, it doesn't seem. Life is difficult. And all around us, we're starting to see religious liberties being attacked more and more. And more particularly in this country, we're seeing religious liberties being attacked more and more and more. Now, Mike Pence, who is the vice president right now, his wife just went and got a job with a Christian school. And she was attacked mercilessly by the media for being a part of an organization that doesn't allow homosexuals or those who are living with somebody and not married or transgender individuals. You know, they they have... You know, the standards of Christianity that have been followed for 2,000 years. And even before that, through Judaism, these standards, this is not something new. And she is an art teacher at this school. And she's being crucified for being such a part of an awful organization. How could somebody whose husband... She's not elected. Who cares what she does? 
That has nothing to do with the people. But, but she's being crucified in, in the media because she is being a part of this organization. Just recently, a New York Times reporter, this just happened, this, I think this last week, put out a, uh, a tweet. And this is what it said. He says, I'm doing a, uh, a special report on Christian schools and he asked for people with experience to share their story. It doesn't sound bad, right? You just want to get everyone's experience. But this is the hashtag for all you older folks. I don't know what a hashtag is. It's just a way to identify and search for what's going on on Twitter. The, the hashtag, the, 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 what it's defining what this is, says expose Christian schools. Now what does we're looking for? A, uh, equal views. He was looking specifically for people that would trash Christian schools so he could write an article about it. But this is the mindset that's in our world right now. The fact that you're a Christian, I mean, that makes you automatically a racist, a bigot, a hater of women, intolerant. Just by being a Christian, that, that's, that's who the media says that you are right now. And unfortunately, it's the, a shift in our society right now. That's who they say that you are. But the writer of Hebrews says that we're supposed to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. This is going to become more and more difficult as the social pressure to push you away from Christianity rises. It is going to be so much harder to not waver. And we're going to need one another to be able to stand in these trying times. We're going to need to be able to stand with one another because when you're by yourself, it is almost impossible to withstand what is going on right now. If you have nobody standing alongside of you, encouraging you when people are coming against you, it's all but impossible. Because it says we're going to need to stir each other up and encourage one another and stir each other up for love, to love and for good works. Why? Because when we're left alone to face what's going on in this world, it is so easy to become disheartened. And I don't know about you, but I know that when I'm feeling attacked, when I'm feeling hurt, when I'm being pressed up and gone, and I'm, I'm being told that I'm worthless or I'm, 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 I'm full of hate and all these things, it makes it really hard to extend love in return. When people are attacking you, it's very difficult to, to look them back and say, I love you, which is what we're called to do as Christians. And that's why we need support from one another to stir us up to love and to good works because it's so easy to become cynical and to push back and to fight back against what is happening. It is so easy. And then he says we're not to neglect meeting together. Even 2,000 years ago, people didn't have time. Even 2,000 years ago, other stuff was more important. He said, no, even though some people are doing that, you guys don't neglect meeting together. Too busy, too tired, too sick, too sick and tired. Always an excuse, but we need each other, church. We need one another to support each other. We have to encourage one another. Because the truth is, is it's not going to get easier. Life, when you become a Christian... It doesn't mean your life is all bubblegum and lollipops after that. Life is still hard. We still deal with stuff because we live in a fallen and a broken world. We need each other to support and encourage one another. We have to be there for one another. 
But if we're not regularly spending time together, if we're not actually, I mean, even if you just come on Sunday and you get here right when the thing opens and you take off right as soon as the doors open and we're done, what kind of relationships are we building in that type of situation? And how can we encourage one another if we don't know anything about one another? We don't even know people are struggling because we never talked to them, been going to church with them for years, don't even know them, their name. We have to come together and develop relationships so we can support one another. In the first Timothy four, seven through eight, we find out what is the importance of a church service. And the truth is when we come together and gather like this, the importance is that we're getting trained. In first Timothy four, seven through eight, it says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness, for why bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We're here to get trained, to equip. That's our, our, our church mission statement is to evangelize, to equip, and to empower. We want to evangelize the lost. We want to equip the saints coming to church on Sunday morning and learning and getting trained as part of being equipped. And then once you're equipped, we want to empower you to step out into the calling that God has on your life. And our worship services, our Bible studies, they're all they're all put together for the purpose of training you and equipping you so that you can live a fully victorious Christian life. And if we don't actually get trained and equipped, you know, you can get swept away by what Paul refers to as irreverent and silly myths. You guys have all heard the expression, if you don't stand, if you won't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. That's the truth is when people are telling you stuff, particularly stuff that sounds Christian, if something sounds Christian, but you're not actually trained, you haven't spent time learning the Word, you haven't spent time reading, by all those areas that we put together so you can be trained, you can be swept away by the silliest of stuff. One of the things that I've seen on Facebook recently that drives me bonkers, it says, God doesn't care how many scriptures you put on Facebook or how many Bible verses you have memorized. He cares how you treat people. It's like they're trying to assign salvation to how you treat people. The truth is, is that God cares that you know His Son. God cares knows know, cares that you put your trust in Him. And I, I realize the sentiment of this because the truth is, if you're born again, if you have a, 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 a saving faith, a miracle takes place inside of you, something happens, you're not who you are anymore, and that will actually change how you treat people. If you're a Christian, you treat people with love, you treat people with forgiveness. And the truth is, to even treat people like that, you have to spend time in the Word and realize how much you've been loved and realize how much you've been forgiven. And when you realize those things, then you can extend that to somebody else. But nowhere in the Bible does God say, I only care how you treat people. He cares that you're born again. And as a result, when you put on the new self, you start treating people differently. And I'm all for treating people better. Amen? We need to show them love. The Scripture says that, this is talking about inside the church, but I think it extends everywhere, but it says that they'll, they'll know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. When you walk by people, they should get love on them. When they walk behind you, they should be stepping in piles of love. Because that's who you are when you're a Christian. It should change how you live your life and how you do things. But what about some of the old classics? Cleanliness is... Next to godliness, 
Yeah, I think that's in second hesitations. What about the, the phrase, God will never give you more than you can bear? Scripture actually doesn't say that. It's something that Mother Teresa said, and I, I like the sentiment. And it actually does encourage me, but the truth is, is that God will give you all kinds of stuff that you can't bear unless you lean on Him. And in His strength, you can handle all kinds of stuff you never thought that you could bear. And certainly by yourself, you wouldn't be able to bear it. What about God helps those who help themselves? Also not in the Bible. What about to thine own self be true? That's in Old English, so it must have came from the King James Bible, right? No, that came from Hamlet, in case you were curious. See, the thing is, is that we have to be trained in godliness so we don't get swept away by these things. And the Scripture even says that it's more important than bodily training. That's my excuse why I'm a little overweight. It's all this studying I've been doing. I didn't have time to, to exercise. Body training is good too. We should be healthy. I'm working on it. Praise God. There was a time when I weighed 310 pounds. don't weigh that much anymore. But I still got some ways to go. But the truth is, that's only a benefit for a short time. But training in godliness is beneficial for eternity. It's for life. It transcends this time we spend on the earth. And the thing is, is church and spending time with other Christians where they can disciple you or you can disciple them and encourage one another is how you get trained. How many of you know that if you don't go to the gym, you don't get stronger? I was riding my bike a lot. And uh, uh, I was riding like 100 miles a week. I was doing really good. I was losing weight, going great. And uh, then I got in a bad accident and my shoulder no longer attaches. I've separated my shoulder. The tendons are all busted. But then even after that, I got healed up and I started riding again. And then I did the worst thing that you can ever do if you have a routine for exercise in place. I went on vacation. And I have not been able to get back on track. I haven't been able to, you know, I have a, I have a mind that when I get onto something, when I want to learn something, like something triggers and I am like, I, I'm either not in or I'm all in. That's how my brain works. And I wish I could figure out how to trigger that so I could control it because like I want to exercise, but I can't get myself to do it. I can't get myself to going. But you know what happened when I stopped riding my bike? My resting pulse has gone up. It turns out that you don't keep your heart rate where it should be. You don't keep everything going if you don't actually get on the bike. The same is true for your spiritual health. If you don't actually come to church and learn, if you don't actually spend time and read your Bible, if you don't spend time in prayer, if you don't spend time with other Christians who are going to encourage you and help you move forward, then you become spiritually atrophied. You don't want to look like you missed leg day in the church. In Ephesians 4, 9 through 12, we see that the truth is that when we come together, we're actually stronger together. That's one of the great benefits of meeting together is we become stronger together. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
Church, we are stronger together. And we're going to need one another to remain strong. I know that I wouldn't be standing here today if I didn't have other Christians who came up alongside of me and lifted me up when I was, when I was down in the dumps, when, when things didn't think, seem like they were going the way they were. I mean, I remember when we, we set out to start planning this church, it was years before we did the, the home church, and it felt like nothing would get going. We couldn't get any momentum, and it was so disheartening. But I had great men of God who came beside me and encouraged me, and they prophesied over my life. They spoke into my life. And we began to see change. But if they weren't beside me, if I had been trying to do it alone, I would have completely failed. I would have never made it. But when I'm struggling, and I'm not talking necessarily sin, or that, but that's one of the things we'll talk about today. But I'm just talking about sometimes life is hard and you're down in the dumps. You're depressed. Things aren't going the way you want them. Or anybody had a time when God's not moving as fast as you expected Him to move? Like, but... But God, I have faith. And He says, yeah, but with faith and patience you inherit the promise. But you're like, can we just do faith? Like, See, the Scripture says that a three-fold cord is not easily broken. And it's interesting if you look at ropes, when you buy ropes, you get a piece of yarn, and you can just take an, and a real strong tug will rip a piece of yarn apart. But if you braid that yarn with three cords, it becomes infinitely stronger. And what I was talking about here is a relationship between one person and another and God in their midst. That three-fold cord, one of those days, it's hard to break. When we're in relationship with one another and in fellowship with God, we can do anything. We can stand up to anything. We can make an impact in our lives, in our friends' lives, our children's lives, our other family members' lives, this community, this city. We can see a difference happen when we stand together. And I've noticed that when I'm regularly in fellowship with other believers, stuff they would have dragged me down before I'm able to withstand it. Because we truly are stronger when we're together, church so important that we actually make this a, a priority in our lives. Romans 1.11-12, it says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Not only are, do we strengthen, uh, do you get strengthened when you come to church, but you have the opportunity to strengthen others. The, the benefit of coming and, and being in a group together is mutually beneficial. Here we see what Paul's talking about the Roman church and he wanted to be a part of what was happening in Rome and, and be a part of what was the Roman church was doing for the kingdom of heaven. He wanted to strengthen them and he wanted to, to encourage them to continue in what they were doing. But he intended to serve, not to be served by going there. And he recognized that not only would he be an encouragement to them, but they would also be an encouragement to him. Because the thing is, is that when you come to church, not only are you receiving a spiritual deposit in your life, but you're also depositing into others. You're making an impact on the others. And the truth is, is that we should expect that when we come to church. We should expect impartation from one another. We should expect God to move. But in addition for you being blessed when you come to church, in addition to you getting that spiritual download, you are a blessing to others. 
And I know that I am so blessed when you guys are here, when I get to, when I get to see you guys. You know, when people come in and I haven't seen them in a while and I'm so excited to see them, probably some of them think I'm just crazy or I'm just putting on a show, but the truth is, I'm so excited to see you. And some of you guys, this is the only time I get to see you is on a Sunday morning. And I'm so blessed that you guys are here and you guys don't even realize it that, you know, we, we all seem to, uh, so many people think that we come to church to receive, but the truth is, is that we give when we're here as well. Because I am strengthened when I see what God's doing in your life, the impact of what God is doing in your life, and certainly the impact of what God is doing through me in your life. I'm just, one of my favorite things about being a pastor is seeing people grow in the Lord and become more mature and be able to pour into them and help them grow into what God wants for their life. And even though I'm pouring into somebody else, the thing is, it's such a good return for me as well because I am blessed by what God has done in your life. And the thing is, is it's just not you and I, you guys are making an impact on one another. Another thing that, that, uh, I love watching when, when the service is over, one of the things I hate seeing is church is over and all of a sudden we're empty immediately afterwards. And I've seen that before. You know, it's like, like people don't even get done to, we're saying, we say amen and they're already out the door, gone. They don't talk to anybody else in the church. They don't talk to one another. They don't have any kind of fellowship. But then there's times, I love it, when I, I get done and 15 minutes, 20 minutes after the service over, the church is still loud with people fellowshipping and, and sharing with one another and imparting into one another. That is such a huge blessing to me. You have no idea. Because that's when the church is doing family. That's when we're doing life together. We actually care about one another. We're interested in one another. And the truth is, is the church is a family. That's what we're supposed to be doing, is caring about one another and getting to know one another. When people take each other out to lunch, I, I love all that stuff because that means that something is happening. You guys are making an impact on one another. And the truth is, is you never know the kind of impact that a simple encouraging word or a small prayer will make on somebody else in their life. You never know what kind of impact you're going to make. And the truth is, is that when we come together under the banner of Christ, we are such a great benefit to one another. In Galatians 6, 1-2, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So in addition to helping each other out in difficult times, like I said, not necessarily sin, but just sometimes life is hard. What about the times that we do fall into sin? Because it happens. We should be here to help one another if somebody stumbles, if somebody falls. Church is not a place where you should be ashamed or afraid to, to get help if you're struggling in an area or something's going wrong. When we gather together as believers, this should be the one place where we can feel free to, to share that we're struggling and ask for help without fear of condemnation or fear of shame? Because the truth is, is every single one of us has fallen. Probably don't even have to go that far back in time to see our latest sin. We all struggle in those areas. We all have troubling times. And this should be a place where we can come together and help each other through those things. And we should be able to talk to each other and tell people, hey, I'm really struggling here. Could you pray for me? Could you walk with me? Could you help hold me accountable? 
in this area, not in such a way that people are pointing fingers. Did you hear what so-and-so did? That's, the, that's why gossip is so damaging because it makes people hold stuff inside because they're afraid somebody might talk about them instead of getting the help that they need. And this is such a give and take area because we all have times when we struggle. We all have times when we, when we need help. We need people to walk with us, to encourage us, to get through those tough times. It's not just one person always giving and one person always taking. The truth is, is we all have times in both camps. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14-15 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. See, not only should we be helping each other in those areas of, of what we would consider obvious sin, but it also says here that we need to admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted. We should also be encouraging one another to be active in the kingdom of heaven. To not just be sitting on our, our uh, uh, blessed assurance, but actually making an impact in the kingdom of heaven. If all you ever do is come to church on Sunday morning, God has so much more that He wants to do through you. God has so much more that He wants to accomplish through your life. And there is stuff in the church that needs to happen. And the truth is, is that we're a body, each many members, and everybody has a part to play. There's a, there's a slot in the body that's, that's perfectly fit for you. And if somebody else has to do it, they don't fit right. Because it's what God called you to do. We should be encouraging one another to step out in what God has called us to do. So that we're not idle for the kingdom of heaven, but we're making an impact. Because the truth is, everything else that we do in our life, even the great stuff that we do is a limited impact because at some point the earth is going to end and people's lives will end. But if you touch somebody's life for the kingdom of heaven, you're instrumental at sharing the gospel with them and they come to know Jesus. You just made an eternal impact that can't be stolen or taken away. And we should encourage one another to be involved in what God is doing in this church, in our lives, in this city. Amen? I also think that we don't realize what we have as a church. Being able to come to church like this, to have a building that we can come together. In Acts 1, 8, 1 through 3, Acts 8, 1 through 3, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This was going on even back then. People weren't being allowed to meet in the name of the Lord. They had just stoned Stephen. Saul, who we later know as Paul, approves of the execution, and then he ends up going in and he's just terrorizing these home churches, these home meetings. He's dragging people out of homes. He's throwing them in prison. You see, in the United States, we don't know what it's like to not be allowed to meet together. We don't understand what kind of privilege this really is to be able to worship out in the open. When our founding fathers put together the Constitution, making sure that everyone had the right to practice their religion, that was an amazing and unheard of thing. We're the only country that the, the religion is protected in our Constitution. 
And that there is no state religion. You're not forced to do anything. But we take it for granted. Before Saul had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was terrorizing the church, breaking up meetings, pulling them out. And I, I wondered, what would, would we be committed to meeting together if we were going through the same thing, if we had the same persecution happening to us? See, in the United States, we still enjoy an incredibly large amount of religious freedom. But in 2016, there was a poll that was taken. It's the second year in the row that Christians were the most persecuted group in the entire world. A Center for Studies on New Religions, which is an Italian-based organization, determined that 90,000 Christians were killed in 2016 for their beliefs. They also determined that as many as 600 million Christians were prevented from practicing their faith. In Iraq alone, from 2003 to 2016, the Christian population went from 1.5 million to 275,000. They were just killed. I found another report in 2017 that says that Christians are still the most persecuted religious group of, uh, persecuted group of any group in the world. And there are millions of Christians they would give anything to be able to come together and practice their faith. And in this country, it's considered second to everything else going on in their lives. So many people are risking their lives in secret. Yet in this country, we've taken for granted this incredible privilege that we have. It's come to the point in many people's lives that I, I'm always cognizant of when I'm asking when people are, have missed a Sunday or missed a couple Sundays, I'll typically call and ask how people are doing. One, because I want to make sure that everything's okay in their life. I want to pray for them if they're struggling in an area. But I'm always... A, it's, it's crazy that I have to think this way, but I'm always afraid that someone's going to be offended that I called and asked where they were and, and never show up. And I'm, I would hate to be the reason somebody is driven away from, from Christ. But it's crazy that I even have to think like that when it used to be realized this was a privilege to come together. So many are risking their lives in secret. Why is it that we have to, to pull teeth to get people to attend church regularly? We have it so good. And I pray regularly that we would just realize that. That we would not become jaded to the great privilege that we have. We would never let it fall to the backside and we would take every opportunity to church I'm telling you right now, with the way things are looking, there may come a time when we're not allowed to do this anymore. There may come a time when we can't have churches like this anymore. We have it so good. Never take it for granted what we have. And then in Acts, we're in here in Acts 2, 42-47, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came among every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending their temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the final thing that I wanted to look at today was that actually gathering together regularly. It's funny here that he says that they were going to the temple together day by day. It's tough to get people to come week by week, let alone day by day. But this is the example the early church left for us. And we wonder, why is it that we're not seeing miracles? Why is it that we're not seeing signs and wonders? Why is it that we're not seeing people saved? It's because there's so many of us that aren't even committed ourselves. What did they see? They were gathering together. They were committed to one another. They gathered day by day, meeting in houses together. And it says that they were praising God and they had favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. What would it look like if the church, and I'm not just talking this group of people here, I'm talking about the the church uh, at large, what would it look like if we made meeting together a priority? If we made coming together and worshiping the Lord and praying and training, what would it look like? Would would, Would things be different? I think it would. I think we would see God move in such greater ways. Now here's the thing though, is that we can't control what others do, but we can certainly make a decision ourselves to look like the early church, to make church a priority, to make gathering together. And I don't even just mean Sunday mornings. Yes, that's important. We need to make that a priority, but get together with one another outside of church as well. We are a family and family. Even when you don't like somebody in the family, you still deal with it. You press on. You don't just get upset and leave, but we come together. We work through things. See, the thing is, is that church is one of the few areas that you can actually come together and become part of a community. It's interesting that Facebook, when they're trying to develop community on Facebook, do you know who they're going and interviewing to find out how to do it and do it well? They started going to churches and church leaders saying, how do you do community? How can we how can we imitate this in a digital platform, in a digital media? They went to churches because churches are the one of the only places in the United States where you can come together and actually be part of a family, become part of a community. And the truth, the truth is, is that so many people want and need that. But if those of us who attend regularly, if we can't be committed to it, how can we have a place that when somebody comes in, that they feel welcome? They feel that there actually is a family. Church, we I think we have to do better at that. I hope this opens your eyes today on the importance of meeting together as a church. Many people don't even think about this. I'll be honest with you, it's for me it was always an area of obedience. Like I went to church because that's what Christians are supposed to do. I I at least understood that. But I never really dug into why, and I began to look on how important it was. And I hope today really opened your eyes in that area. And this wasn't to condemn anybody. This wasn't preached for anybody in particular in case somebody figures that I was speaking just to you. I wasn't. But the truth is, is that I hope it did open your eyes and it makes an impact. And church, I want to be a church that doesn't take for granted the great privilege that we have here, the fact that we can come together and we don't have to worry about if somebody walks by, if they're going to come in and imprison us. 
let's take advantage of that opportunity that we have. Amen.